Today we'll be reading uh, from Mark chapter 4 verses 1 to 41 and that can be found in your church Bibles on page 709. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60 or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, 
first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Last week, we saw that both Jesus' popularity and the opposition to him were growing. And we saw that the growing opposition against him was pretty nasty, uh, even pretty hurtful, and actually pretty dangerous. Leaders were questioning Jesus' authority and, and the unconventional way that he was doing his ministry. Some of them had even started to plot how they might kill him. The big guns had come down from Jerusalem... And they were telling people that Jesus was operating from the power of the devil. And even Jesus' own family were questioning the way that he was doing things and that even questioned his sanity. And today we we just saw that Jesus' own close supporters are also struggling to understand him. What's going on with that? If Jesus really is God's chosen king come near, bringing God's rule to this earth, then why are people rejecting him? Why can't he seem to make more of an impact? It raises the uncomfortable question that perhaps Jesus really is failing in his mission. Perhaps he he really is a failed Messiah. Is he somehow inadequate? At this point in Jesus' ministry, he starts to speak to this question directly. But the confusing thing is, he speaks directly to this question of his adequacy, but he does it indirectly, in parables. Today we see three things. First, in a parable, Jesus explains why his ministry doesn't appear to be an instant success in the life of every person. Second, in a, in a series of parables, Jesus explains exactly how he sees his mission successfully unfolding. And then finally, we see Jesus do something that blows any question about him being inadequate completely out of the water. So in the first parable today, it's, it's like we're hearing Jesus say, 
The problem is not with me. It's with you. Now, most of us are used to parables, so they don't seem that strange to us. But Jesus' parable, it must have seen, this this idea of, of teaching in parables like this, it must have seen at least a little bit strange to the people back then. I mean, imagine it. You've, you've heard of this amazing teacher, Jesus, a healer who's, who's got the leaders upset. You've travelled five days walking to see what all the excitement is about and you sit down on the lake's edge with the rest of the huge crowd as Jesus sits out in the boat and you can hear what he's saying crystal clear as, as, the, as his voice travels across the water but that's where the clarity ends because if you're honest... You're confused, about what, you're confused about what Jesus is even talking about. He gives you a lesson in farming that, quite frankly, your five-year-old back home could have given you. Some seed the birds eat, some seed withers, some is choked by weeds, but some makes it all the way to the harvest. If it wasn't for the miracles that you saw earlier, you'd have to conclude that the whole trip has been a waste of time. But then... Right at the end, Jesus says something that indicates that maybe you're missing something. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This all must have been pretty confusing. And as we see, it turns out that even the 12 disciples and the other close followers of Jesus, they seem to be struggling to have ears to hear. Because when they're alone with Jesus, they fess up and they admit to Jesus that they really don't know what's going on with the farming lessons. And look at how Jesus answers in verse 11. First he affirms them, but then he critiques them. He says, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables. And here Jesus quotes what God said to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6 so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Jesus is saying here that his mission is all about giving insiders the secret of the kingdom. But his mission is also about confirming outsiders in their hard-heartedness towards God. His mission divides people. And we might, we might think of the parables like quaint stories from everyday life that that are trying to help people struggling to understand to kind of get a handle on what Jesus is talking about but that doesn't seem to be the way that Jesus sees them Jesus says that they're his way of separating insiders from outsiders and hearing parables without at the same time having the secret of the kingdom just confirms people in their hard-heartedness to God now at this point a whole heap of questions should be flooding our minds, like, what is the secret of the kingdom? And how do, you, how do you receive the secret of the kingdom? And if these close followers of Jesus, he says, have the secret of the kingdom, then why aren't they understanding the parables? We'll see if we can tease out the answers to these questions as we see what happens next. Having affirmed them by telling them that they, they have the secret of the kingdom, Jesus then critiques them. Look at verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? In other words, what's going on here is that this is a parable about Jesus' parables. 
It's a parable about the people who reject Jesus' message and the people who receive Jesus' message. So it's a, it's a bit of a paradox that the very ones who are, who are represented by the good soil receiving Jesus' message are here in real life struggling to understand Jesus' message and struggling to let it grow. If they can't even understand the parable about receiving Jesus' teaching, how will they understand parables that actually are Jesus' teaching, the content of his teaching? Well, we actually see the answer to that in what happens next. How will they understand? Well, they'll understand only as Jesus explains everything to them. We're not going to go into the details of this parable today, but just notice that Jesus is saying it's no surprise to him that his, his mission doesn't produce fruit in everyone. In fact, it only produces fruit in one in four soils in Jesus' parable. Jesus is saying it's no surprise that, that, that some people don't even respond to him at all because the devil snatches away the message instantly. Neither is it surprising to him to see people love his message in one moment but then hate it in the next. It's not surprising to him either to see people who've loved his message for quite some time start to love other things above him. And neither is it surprising to him to see people start to love his message and continue on right to the end. Just as an, as an aside before we go on, can you see what a gift this parable is to us? It's an absolute gift. One of the, the hardest things that I've, I've found over the years is when people fall away from God. You know, it doesn't happen that often, but every time it happens, it's really hard and it's really sad, and it's really painful. A couple of times it's been someone that I've told about Jesus, sometimes it's been a friend or, or sometimes it's been someone that I was ministering to. And at those times I always find myself thinking, what's gone wrong? What should I have done differently? And at those times I always think of this parable and I find it a comfort. Because if they rejected Jesus, the King of God's kingdom, back then when He's staring them in the eyes, speaking to them face to face... If Jesus isn't surprised by that, then we shouldn't be surprised when people reject him today. It'll always be sad and, and hard and, and painful, but it should be what we're expecting to happen. And in the end, there's no use looking back, wishing we'd done things differently, even if we have failed in some way. Because in the end, it's not about what we did or didn't do. In the end, it's about what type of soil God calls people to be. And it's about what they do with Jesus' message. The flip side of this, of course, is that not only should we be expecting that some people will fall away, but this parable also tells us that we can absolutely expect that Jesus' message will take root in some people's lives. It may not be one in four. I don't think Jesus is trying to give us statistically reproducible data here or anything like that. It could be that Jesus' message takes root in the first person's we ever tell about Jesus, it could be it takes root in their lives. It could be the fourth, it could be the tenth. But the point is that it's not at all surprising when people respond to Jesus' message. And if we tell enough, enough people about Jesus, someone will receive his message and it will take root in their lives. This parable is Jesus telling us that he doesn't judge success by people, everybody responding positively to him. That's not how Jesus judge, judges the success of his mission. 
His mission is not about everybody responding positively to him. He's come to divide people into those who will follow him and those who won't. And the fact that some are responding hostilely to Jesus, it's not a problem with him. It's a problem with them. Next in this chapter, we hear Jesus say, I will grow my kingdom my way. And he does this with a series of parables. And all of these parables are about God's kingdom. And all of them are about how Jesus actually intends to achieve his mission to bring God's kingdom to earth. So in verse 21, Jesus is saying that the secret of the kingdom, it's not meant to stay hidden, but like a light, it's actually meant to reveal. So when Jesus, just like Isaiah, when he preaches in a way that confuses people, that's not the ultimate purpose of his preaching. It's only necessary because of their hardness of heart. The ultimate purpose of what Jesus is doing is meant to shine a light for people to see and some will see. And so he says next, consider carefully what you hear. Literally, he says, see what you're hearing. It's like Jesus is hanging up a light with his words and and he's asking them, will you see it? And then he says to them that the bigger the measure they use in seeing what they're hearing, the more they'll get. You know, come to Jesus with a teaspoon and you'll get a teaspoonful. Come to Jesus with a wheelbarrow and you'll get a wheelbarrow full. Or come to Jesus with a semi and he'll fill it. The only restriction on receiving seems to be how much attention we're willing to give Jesus. Then in the next parable, in verse 26, Jesus explains that God's kingdom isn't going to start with the harvest, it's going to start with sowing. And Jesus' way of building God's kingdom is slowly slowly so that you almost can't see it growing but it is growing and God will make it grow at his pace and then that final parable in verse 30 Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a a mustard seed not an avocado seed or, or a mango seed not even a zucchini seed it's a mustard seed it's tiny so of course it it's going to be overlooked by some it's unimpressive it's small Of course, some people are going to think it's inadequate. It starts with just one who calls this strange band of 12 who are there struggling to even understand what Jesus is talking about in that moment. But through them, this kingdom is going to grow and grow until eventually it fills the whole world. Do you notice with all of these parables that there's a common thread? And the common thread, of course, is Jesus. Read between the lines if you've got the ears to hear it and what you hear is Jesus is the farmer, the the sower of the seed. Jesus is the one who hangs the light up on the stand. Jesus is the one who, who will fill the measure that we bring to him. He's the one who gives the secret growth and Jesus is the gardener who plants the seed that fills the earth and gives shelter to all. In other words, the secret of The kingdom of God is Jesus and you receive the secret of the kingdom by coming to him. Jesus is not failing. That's what he's saying. His mission is going according exactly as he's planned it. Hard hearts are rejecting God but some, a small number to start, some are receiving him 
And as they do, they receive the secret of God's kingdom. They don't fully understand him, but they will. Because to those who receive him, to those on the inside, to them we read in verse 33, Jesus explains everything. But as we'll see across the rest of Mark's gospel, the disciples are slow learners and they're struggling to understand who he is. And we see this even in what happens next. Because having taught them that everything that ha- that's happening is in his game plan, Jesus then blows any question of his adequacy completely out of the water. In what happens next, it's, it's like Jesus is saying, I am more in command than you could ever imagine. So it's evening, we read in verse 35, and Jesus has been teaching all day and, and he's, he, he finishes teaching from the boat, probably a boat like this, like we saw last week. And he decides to cross over the lake and so they leave straight from there like that. But then we read things go wrong in verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. I've been, the closest I've come is probably going down rapids on the Shellhaven River where for some reason we ended up sideways with the boat filling with water, sinking and us clinging to it, heading for a giant boulder in the middle of the stream. When you're in that situation, you know you're in trouble and the disciples here, they know they're in trouble. But Jesus, we read in verse 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Jesus seems to be oblivious. One of my kids, when he was a baby, could sleep through just about anything like this. Unbelievably, even still, it's pretty hard to wake him up. And Jesus here is so tired that he's able to even sleep through a storm. Now, just as a side point, again, does this fit with your view of Jesus? Jesus is truly human. He's not lying there, you know, pretending to be asleep, thinking to himself, this is going to be the best practical joke ever. He's exhausted. He's unable to stay awake, even in such an extreme circumstance. This is Mark, remember, giving us Peter's eyewitness account of what he saw that day, down even to the detail you'll notice that Jesus was asleep on a cushion. And the account he gives us shows that Jesus is someone who is truly human. We shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking Jesus was only kind of a human or a superhuman never shaving but always perfectly manicured, never sleeping yet never tired. Jesus was every bit as human as we are and in fact even more human than we are, which makes what happens next even more amazing. Because back to what happened, Jesus seems unworried by what's going on but the disciples, we read in verse 38, are terrified. The disciples woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, don't you care if we drown?' I don't know what they expected him to do, whether it was just grab a bucket or whether as their leader to kind of rally the troops in a concerted effort. But what he did next, I'm sure that they weren't expecting this tired man to do. Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Now surely in that split second when Jesus said that before anything happened, the disciples must have been confused, thinking, is he crazy? Is this just somebody who's just woken from sleep and said something silly in that moment? But Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves and they listen. Verse 39, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. 
We go from a great windstorm to a great calm, not by coincidence, but by the command of Jesus. In a minute, we're going to look at the disciples' response. But first, what does this say about this man? Well, it says that any question of him somehow being inadequate is completely blown out of the water. Any question about whether Jesus is in control or not is stilled. And in its place, a new question arises. Verse 41, they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Their minds are reeling with the implications. I mean, how can someone be asleep one minute, exhausted, on a cushion, and then in the next minute be bringing the forces of nature completely under control on its knees before him? How is that possible? Who is this? I mean, at the very least, you'd have to say this is a man who's truly an agent of God. No human ever could command the forces of nature from their own authority. He must, at the very least, be an agent of God. And yet, to see Jesus just as an ordinary agent of God just doesn't adequately answer the question, who is this? We come across no other person like this in the Old Testament who could speak a word and see nature obey him. No prophet of his own initiative could command with such power. I mean, Moses didn't wake up instantly and part the Red Sea. God told him to do it. But Jesus doesn't pray or receive a command from God. Jesus jumps up and immediately speaks to the sea and the sea recognises his voice. He does what only God can do. In Psalm 107, it's God alone who commands the sea. Verse 29 says, He, the Lord, stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Controlling nature is God's stuff. The only satisfactory answer to this question, who is this? In fact, the only satisfactory answer to this question that's lurking there in the whole of Mark, who is Jesus? Is that Jesus is the divine Christ, the divine Son of God, God the Son, veiled in weak human flesh. But of course, at this point in Jesus' ministry, the disciples, they've recognised that Jesus is someone significant, but they haven't understood just how significant he is. They have the secret of the kingdom, but they don't yet know the treasure that they have there with them in Jesus. And so, before Jesus calms the storm, and even after Jesus calms the storm... We're left hanging in this story with a response from the disciples that's totally inadequate. Look at how their inadequate response unfolds. They begin, before he comes to the storm, in doubt. And we see this when they wake Jesus up. See, they don't wake him up and say, Lord, save us. Did you notice what they say? Teacher, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Under pressure, the truth comes out their assessment of Jesus becomes clear. It's worth waking up this teacher, but they're not exactly brimming with confidence that he's going to be able to help. And it's in this moment that we see Jesus turn the question of his adequacy completely on its head. And the question becomes not, is he adequate? The question becomes, is our response to him adequate? Because he says to them in verse 40, Why are you so afraid? 
I mean, shouldn't that be obvious? Unless the disciples have missed something that's even more obvious. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They're afraid, and who wouldn't be? But Jesus is saying it's not an adequate response. If they knew who was there with them in the boat, then they wouldn't have been afraid. But at this point, the disciples move from fearing the forces of nature to fearing the one who commands nature. Did you notice that? Everything's it's perfectly calm. There's no wind, no waves. But the disciples are now gripped with a terror, not of what's outside the boat, but a terror of who is inside the boat with them. Verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? But still, even this, it's not an adequate response because Jesus wants them to go beyond fear to faith. Do you still have no faith? He wants them to see who he is and realize that they can trust him fully. Sometimes when people preach on Jesus calming the storm, the application is something like this. And Jesus will calm the storms of our lives too. Have you ever kind of heard that kind of application? In the storm of sickness, Jesus will calm it. In the storm of depression, Jesus will calm it. In in the storm of financial hardship, Jesus will calm it. But this response to a kind of storms of life, Jesus, in the end, it's still inadequate. Because what are we doing? We're dictating to Jesus what we think his mission in our life should be. We're saying, Jesus, your mission should be to heal me and benefit me and make my life calm. That's not Jesus' mission. Jesus never promises to grow our kingdom. Jesus promises to grow God's kingdom and he promises to do it his way. And if we know Jesus, if we know the the secret of God's kingdom, if we've seen who he is, then we know that the question is not, is Jesus adequate for the task of steering our lives? We know that the real question is, will we let him take the wheel fully? The only right response to this one who controls all things is faith. Whether he calms the the storms in our lives or not, the question is, Will we trust Him? We can't be guaranteed that Jesus will calm the storms of our lives like we might want. He doesn't promise to always heal our sickness or stop our depression or increase our finances. Jesus doesn't guarantee these things. He guarantees us something better. We can be guaranteed that Jesus is in control of these storms even more than we could possibly even imagine. There's no storm in our life that's stronger than Him. No storm that's out of control. We can trust Him fully to either calm the storm or to captain our lives as we sail through them. The only adequate response to who Jesus is, is complete faith in Him, come what may. Now, it's not surprising that people reject Jesus. That's what we've seen today. It's not surprising. It's not surprising that, that human hearts are hard towards God. What is surprising is that in Jesus, God is willing to stand with us as one of us and command all things for us. Jesus builds God's kingdom his way 
and we can trust him and trust him fully as he does it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing work that Jesus did amongst us, becoming human, tired like us, even. And yet, Lord, completely at the same time, divine, in control of all things. Lord, it's amazing that you would love us so much that you would come to seek us, call us to bear fruit, call us into your kingdom and build your kingdom out of us, even though we struggle so much to have the kind of faith that you want in us. Lord, help us not to be afraid, no matter what happens in our lives. Help us to be able to trust that Jesus is in control. Help us not to dictate to you what Jesus' mission should be in our world or in our lives. Help us to trust him fully. Lord, we struggle with this. We need your Holy Spirit to continually be at work in our lives and we thank you that he is. And Lord, we thank you for the difference that it makes to know that we have someone who is in control, even when we're not. Lord, help us to trust him and to feel the joy that it is to know his love, his care, come what may. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.